remember that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Look at the things and interactions that you have in your life from the time you wake up. What are some inconveniences that you face in your own life? Like, what are some things that you're like, why can't someone fix this? Why isn't this easier? Why isn't this smoother? Maybe it's you. Maybe you were the person that was meant to fix that thing. You think it's a simple, maybe it's simple to you because God made your brain be able to calculate whatever that solution is. And so instead of us always expecting for someone else to come through and do it, do it yourself. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Start Right Here. We are the podcast that puts the spotlight on the career paths of BIPOC beauty professionals, entrepreneurs, and creatives, as well as issues related to beauty and inclusion impacting us in the industry, as well as impacting consumers. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope that conversations on this show help fuel your path to success. Hi everyone. Today I want to touch on how authenticity can become one superpower. My guest for today's show has proven that by going from being among the first natural hair vloggers to a brand owner and a serial entrepreneur. But she's best known as the CEO and founder of Allocay Naturals. I'm pleased to welcome Rochelle Graham Campbell to the show today. Welcome, Rochelle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful to have you here today. Before we start talking about your career path, let's begin with some fun questions in our For the Love of Beauty section. Do you remember the first product you tried when you were younger? Well, I may not remember the exact first product that I tried when I was younger, but I definitely remembered using just pure Jamaican black castor oil on my hair when I was growing up in Jamaica, of course. It wasn't by a particular brand, just we used to buy it at the local craft market and it just became a part of our hair routine and full body routine. So yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. What's the latest product you tried? I would say the latest product that I tried was a new lipstick from Lip Bar. I can't remember the exact color at the moment, but I absolutely love her lipsticks. And I'm actually wearing her Boss Lady lipstick right now. I just love supporting other Black-owned businesses. So when I see something new on shelf, I'm like, oh, yes, I must have it. Yes. So we love Melissa. I'm wearing Boss Lady too. Boss Lady and Rebel mixed together. Oh, look at us. Okay. Yes, we definitely love to support Black-owned businesses. Was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you? Definitely a detour for me. What did you think you were going to do when you were growing up? Growing up, I always had it in mind that I wanted to help people. I never really defined what that looked like at a super young age. I naturally always had interest in business. I think just like so many entrepreneurs, that story of selling candy when you're in school and I got in trouble actually for it. The principal called my parents to the school. So that started my interest in business, but I didn't really think like, oh yes, I'm going to be a businesswoman when I grow up. I just knew I wanted to help people. So as I got older and I started to have a better understanding of even my family's immigrant journey to America, I really realized how difficult our journey was to get here and the amazing opportunities that I was being afforded. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I want to be able to help as many other people that are are immigrants that want this big dream of a better life 
to help them along their journey to immigrate to wherever, including the U.S. Then I said, okay, well, who does that job? Immigration attorney. That's what I want to do. But once I entered college and university and I started to gain more of an understanding of law, I still had a passion for immigration, but I also realized that law could be so much bigger. So my first goal was to just go to law school, become an immigration law attorney, and then be able to expand into my other interests. And crazy enough, but in a beautiful way, when I was in college, those pressures that I had placed on myself because I was on a mission to graduate early. So I was taking four to six classes a semester. And then, of course, I was paying my way through college. My husband and I were married super early at age 20. So I was a CNA part-time. I worked at Olive Garden, waiting tables. That was my full-time job. And then my husband and I threw newspapers seven days a week. So I was doing all of that. And I'm telling you, I just needed a creative outlet at this point. And that's where I got led into the beauty industry. That's when I started doing YouTube. So YouTube and the beauty world was my creative outlet from the strenuous life and structured schedule that I had created for myself being this super ambitious person. And who knew that what was supposed to just be a hobby for me would end up developing and leading me into what I am 100% guaranteed that I knew God made me for from the beginning. Yes, there's no accident in life. So definitely it's divine guidance that you ended up where you are. And, you know, kudos to you for understanding that you have to do the work early on, no matter what the work is, whether it's throwing newspapers or being a CNA or working at Olive Garden, understanding like the work ethic early is really an important skill. So when you found your way to YouTube and you started vlogging, I started looking at your old videos. One of the things that people remarked about was how transparent, how very honest you were about products about prices, affordability, your reaction to stuff. You weren't putting on a show. You were being really, really authentic with your experience. Why was that important to you? It was important to me because I have always been a person that I believe if I'm going to show up in this world, I have to show up as myself. And it has never even been a second thought. I don't like to be performative. I think that being fake or having to force yourself to become something, to appease to others. It takes away so much from who you are. And so it was not even a thought process. It was just naturally just how I am. And that was beautiful for me back then because it helped me to connect with so many women around the world. And when I think about it, I've always just approached everything that I've done, even early on in my career, when I didn't know it was a career, as what would I want? And I like the best of the best. I know how I want to feel. I know how I want to be treated. And I also knew that there was this sisterhood, I believe, that I was missing, that I didn't even know that I was missing. And so it was a dual relationship, like me being authentic and sharing these pieces of myself helped to inspire other women and men around the world to do the same. But it also gave me comfort to realize that these parts of me that sometimes in my own community or sometimes your friend and family circle makes you weird or strange, you find your people. And I found my tribe. So it made me feel comfortable. I love it. I love that because the people that have known us all our lives don't always see the real us in some ways. They see the perception of what 
we've been as a child or whatever kind of label. If you ever get together with people from high school, do you ever notice that people kind of like revert back to the old habits that they had? Yes. I think similarly in families that happen. So it's interesting that you going out and kind of leading with your heart in terms of vlogging helped you connect with people in that way. What do you think you learned from just the whole, we talked about your CNA, out of the garden, throwing papers, vlogging. What did you learn that set you up for success later? I would say one of the things that set me up for success is I learned during that time period to follow my own flow. And so almost like isolate myself, not in a negative way, but I kind of went within, I went into my own like little bubble and I just started to follow what felt right to me and follow my creativity and follow my own steps. And I realized that during that time in my career, like I ended up moving forward because getting into vlogging, I think a lot of people should be mindful. So fun fact, I was one of the first YouTube natural hair vloggers at all, period. There was no one else existing at the time. And The six of us, now I'm the only one still active in our natural hair community years later, but it was for free. Like I was doing those YouTube videos for free. My first 400 videos on YouTube were not paid by Google, 400. Wow. Yes, 400 videos. So when you see people, this automatic overnight success that people expect to happen, they don't see all of those times and years and dedication. And there was no... Instagram fame. Like I wasn't doing it for fame. I just did what felt good. And when I found what my stride was, I just stuck to it. And I listened to my audience because they were my community. And I'm like, tell me what y'all need. I got you. I've just always had this affinity, I guess this thing in me that I think if God has blessed me, right, to have access or to gain some knowledge or to learn from an experience, it is my job then to help someone else to either avoid those mistakes or to give them that thing that I wish I had. And so everything that I was learning about my natural hair, even the things that I screwed up on, I'm like, guys, guess what? I messed up. Let me tell you how, let me show you how, and let me tell you now how I'm going to do it. And let's do this journey together. So what it taught me is, first of all, to find your area of genius and hone in on it and just follow your flow. And I found that during those times in my career, that's when things took off the fastest. Once you start to deviate and you focus more on external factors leading you, then it kind of pulls you away from that purpose. So that was a big lesson during that time. And then also to the balance of things. Like I always say like balance is BS. I don't necessarily think that anything in your life will ever be at equal regard. But what I found was I learned to prioritize. That was huge for me because I was young and I was married. And so not only am I dealing with you know a budding marriage in the beginning and learning about ourselves and still even learning about myself as a woman. And now it's like, oh, my career path is changing. It was a lot. And so during that time, I found that I needed to prioritize spending time with my husband, spending time for my business, dedicating time for school, because when you're paying for college out of your own pocket, oh, grade slipping is not an option, okay? Like (laughs) there was no rich mom or parent that was funding. I had to buy books. I had to pay for it myself. And so that discipline of understanding that what I had already signed up for, which is to get a proper education, was my 
first and foremost goal, but I also had this thing in me that just felt right about Alakay. So I needed to find the time to double down on both. And I did. You said so much there. I love that you talked about, it was a passion. There wasn't a goal. I want to be famous. There's no goal. I want to make X dollars. I want to do this because it feels good. And when you do what feels right, everything follows. If it's the right thing for you, then the rest of it follows. But as you said, it doesn't happen overnight. It's the day. It's the 400 videos. Come on, y'all. 400 videos. <laughs> there are people who get salty after 10 and then will have sponsorship. And I edited those myself. Can I also say that? I don't even think I usually remember to say that in interviews, but I edited all 400 of those myself on Windows Movie Maker. So I didn't have paid editors. So I was doing that and running my Naimani Chic Jewelry business and running Alakay as well and doing my classes and doing my jobs as well. Yeah. You can't say you don't have the time. I mean, Rochelle is showing us we all can find time to do what's necessary to do what we want. Yeah. You have to sacrifice something though. I know my friends said, looking back, my college best friends, we now can reflect on it. And I think now as an adult and at this pivotal time in our lives and career, because I'm 35, they understand now why I kind of like stepped back when we were in college and I didn't get to go to all the parties and I didn't get to do all the things. Those sacrifices I made 15 years ago are what's paying off now. Yeah. I want to go back to Jamaica for a minute because there's some stuff that happened there that shaped all that's happened now. Your perceptions of beauty and then your relationship and knowledge of plants. Can you talk a little bit about that and tell me a little bit about your grandmother too? Yes, of course. I actually wish that in my childhood, I wish I had more time with Yaya. She's still alive. She works here at Alakay, by the way. People don't know that. Like two of my grandparents work here at Alakay. We tried to retire my grandma years ago. She has no interest. So she comes to work. She's so cute. But I wish growing up in Jamaica, I actually had more time with her to even get in her head and learn more about the natural herbs and ingredients. But realistically, it would be weekends here or there. But I found that even as a child, I was so interested and so fascinated in the fact that when I was in Jamaica, if someone had a burn, if someone had a cut, someone's toe was about to fall off. Like it would be the craziest things. And they would call my grandma and she would look at it and then she would go. And by the time we're home, she's in the kitchen, boiling something, straining it, putting it on the stove outside, getting plants and her brain and the way that it worked, it was so cool to see. And it was for the medicinal purposes. So years and years, fast forward in life, I had not really been around my grandma in my teenage years growing up. But as I started to get into the beauty industry and think about my natural hair and what I wanted, I was thinking, well, if my yaya can help someone's toe to not fall off using just herbs that we had at the house, then I don't understand why we can't apply that same thought process to beauty. It's simple things like, okay, so we want to get rid of a scar. Wonderful. What natural ingredients help to get rid of scars the fastest? What works the best? What flows well together? What's complementary? Okay, so other than just getting rid of the scar, what are some additional needs that someone's skin will have other than just the scar removal? So I started to formulate and create products with, first of all, the problem in mind. Like, I know that a lot of product formulators and creators, they have their own flow. I simply attacked it very simple. What is the problem? What's the challenge? What are the multiple solutions that we can have? Because my thought process with Alec Hay was, 
again, I want to give everybody what I want and I want the best of the best. And I also never like to rely on plan A. I'm the queen of having plan A, B, and C. So I kind of took that approach of formulation instead of having just one main ingredient that was able to have proven results of solving that problem, I would layer in like two or three. And so if one was able to you know, solve one area or one aspect, then the other two could come in and supplement. And I think that's part of the reason that Alike is so potent and people love our products and they work so well is because of that methodology. So I took it back to my roots in that regards. And I'm not a trained chemist. A lot of people ask me because I had a salon years ago as well. Did I go to cosmetology school? No, I did not. I have never been a licensed hairstylist or cosmetologist. I give kudos to those men and women that are in that industry. So kudos to them, but that wasn't me. I took the approach of simple nature can solve our beauty problems. How can I put two and two together? And also, as you can see by my nails or my flashiness, I am a girly girl. So I love to smell good. I want to feel fabulous. So that was another part as well with Alec Hay. I didn't really see a lot of brands that were taking the supernatural organic approach while also making it smell good and look good. Like we want luxury too. So that was the beginning of Alake. What was the name of your first product? The Essential 17 Hair Growth Oil, which is still our number one best-selling product and has won so many awards. It touches my heart. <laughs> and how many SKUs do you have now? Oh, goodness. I would say maybe 90 or 80 around there. We have a lot. We're actually doing a catalog review next week, but we have a lot. And I formulated our first 70 products of Alec Hay. I think I did those in like two and a half years. It was crazy. Okay. There's a theme here. 400 videos, edit yourself, 70 products while doing all these other things and still making videos. Yeah. <laughs> and still making videos and still keeping up with my grades, all of it. Again, that's how I tell people. You asked me how I did it. I'm just going to tell you it's God. It was God because I genuinely don't know what kept me like driven, except I just kept going. Like it just felt natural. It felt like, okay, this is the next natural step. And then also too, once I started to see the results that I was getting from using our Allocate Naturals products and then everyone else's results, I knew that I had something good. And so I'm like, throw things at me. Tell me what else do you guys want? Tell me what you don't see and I will create it for you. So that's always been Alakay's mindset. Like our community and our customers have always told us what they want next. And I just create according to that. And therefore I know that I trust my abilities to create a really good product. Like we don't skim on things. And even as we were growing and scaling our business, I think that's one of the benefits of us not having any outside investors at this point in our company is that we are not in a position where our brand has to compete and try to increase our profits in order to now pay off investors, we are able to still maintain our quality natural ingredients and find other ways for our company to save costs. Like as we're growing, economy of scale means we can buy more ingredients at bulk. That's where we find cost savings, packaging at bulk. But Sometimes when you have those outside factors, you're put into positions, as I've seen other brands do, where now you have to skim so much. And then the people that end up feeling it are your customers. And I remember my husband and I, when we got our first retail experience, 
one of the things that our customers said, like everyone was so happy for us. They're like, oh my gosh, Alakay, you got into Target. This is amazing. We're so proud of you. You're going to do great. But also there were those hesitations because people were saying, please don't do what X, Y, and Z brand did and change your formulas as soon as you get into retail. And I can't tell you how many times we got that in emails. We got phone calls to our office of people saying, please put Rochelle on the phone. And I would answer. I would be like, customer service, pass it to me. Let's talk. Hey, so my name is Miss Gloria, and I've been buying your products since 2011. And I just want to say, I saw y'all are in Target. Good job. Please promise, baby girl, as you're growing, don't change your products. Don't change your formula. It just felt like my family members. It felt like my elders. It felt like my sisters and my cousins were saying, girl, good job, but remain true to who you are. So we've kept that at our core. That's why we've maintained our formulations the whole time. Lots to unpack here. Such great information, Rochelle. I can't thank you enough for like just getting into it. Formulating all these products, first of all, just getting good at that also takes time. You took the time, but I love that you listen to your customers. And you are so right about the challenge of taking on investment because it is a challenge. And the trade-off for a lot of brands is you not only lose your voice, you lose part of yourself when you take a check because suddenly you're not in control. In a lot of instances, that could be the case. Not all of them, but majority of them, yes. So if that is what you want, you're going in making that choice, maybe because you want to scale. But it sounds to me like your first priority is authenticity and your customer. Yes. Without that, you have nothing else. There's so many other factors. People look at our brand. There's so many bigger brands that have entered into the space. So for example, if you walk into Target right now, and look on shelf. Now, I cannot fact check because there may be one more, but at the moment, we are the only 100% Black-owned manufacturing brand on shelf. 100% Black-owned that also manufactures our products. Last time we checked, there were only two of us. And if I'm not mistaken, it's now down to us. It's not easy what we're doing. But the thing is, our industry it's changing so rapidly right now. You have the larger companies that used to make relaxers that for years and years, even when I was growing up, weren't paying attention to us. They had no interest in providing quality or natural ingredients or options. They had 20, 30, 40 plus years to do that. We were not a thought. It was, here's some chemicals. Here's the price we're selling it as. Take what you get. And now you have this beautiful movement that has started and we've created such a wonderful thing. And the bigger brands have seen that opportunity and are now, of course, creating 50 million brands every month. And it is so difficult as a Black-owned brand to hold on to your shelf space, to maintain your position. Now add that added layer to Allocate, where not only are we Allocate the brand, we're Black Onyx World, the manufacturer. So we're running two businesses simultaneously while trying to keep up with our larger manufacturing competition without outside investment and loans. And then as a brand, trying to make sure we still tell our customers, hey guys, so we know that 20 other brands just got on shelf that look like they're black owned, but they're not. We're still here, you know, we're maintaining. So with everything shifting, I believe that the reason that we have been so blessed to have Alakay be here celebrating 13 years coming July is because that authenticity factor. 
Pricing has changed. Industry has changed. New natural brands have popped up. Some have sold, some have come back, whatever. And we are still here because once you at least remain true to who you are, you keep that why at the center of your brands, your decision, your movements, give God the rest and have faith. But if we had wavered away from that, to be honest, I swear we would have been lost in this wave that just happened of brands emerging. Yeah, this wave is no joke. But what I will say is that as consumers, Black folks are savvy in terms of doing the work and investigating who owns what, yeah, what has changed. So they're not going to be swayed by pretty packaging. You know, we want products that work. Yes. And if our goal is to support a Black brand, we're going to know who the Black brands are. Yes. I want to talk about how did you get on the Target shelf? What was that like? What was the challenge there? That was actually by happen chance. I went to a quick business pitch competition, barely had the money for it, found out about this Black-owned magazine newspaper in Chicago that was holding a Shark Tank-like competition a week later. And I submitted my pitch last minute. I actually stayed up. I remember seeing it on a Facebook group late night, and I stayed up that night and created my own pitch deck. So by the next morning, I told my husband, hey, Last night I saw there's a competition happening and I could possibly pitch to Damon from Shark Tank. And it was this big, exciting thing. And the next day I submitted my application. They were like, you missed the deadline, but we love your pitch. You're in. So we were one of the seven brands selected. And I had to like scrape together my last dollar. My mom traveled with me because I had just had my first child, my son. And so my mom traveled with me to Chicago. She had to pay for the rental car because I had no money left over after booking our flight. And I did that pitch. And it was us against six other brands. We had a standing ovation at the event. And I felt so good because at the time, I knew that we had done a great job growing Allocate on our own. I believe at that point, we were at like year three or four. And I was so proud of us. But I felt in my head like, This is when Shark Tank was super popular. And I was like, if I could just get a shark to help me, if we could just get some capital invested in the business, we could blow this thing out the water. We could do so much. And that was my goal. But I got turned down. Damon from Shark Tank said, I would love to invest in you. He was like, I am so impressed. Like you killed this presentation. I'm impressed with everything you've done. But he said, I can't help you. He's like, my area of genius is I'm a marketer. He's like, that's my strong suit. So if I invest in businesses, it has to be a company that I know that not only needs my capital, but I can also offer my marketing expertise. And he's like, you're already a marketing genius on your own. So there's nothing else that I can contribute to you other than money. In my head, I'm thinking, dude, I need the money though, sir. Like I will take the money. Okay. I got a hundred dollars or less than my bank account to go back home. My husband's back home trying to run the business. I need that money. But I didn't say that. I was fighting back tears. Like my mom was standing there beside me. And I remember the, I'm still going to look up this lady's name. I remember the black founder of this newspaper. She got up and she was like, I'm sorry, baby girl is not leaving here. She came here from Florida. She has a newborn baby. She has built this business. Y'all have seen what she has done. She said, she's not leaving this building without somebody helping her. Somebody in this building has to help baby girl. And so she told a Walgreens buyer in the audience to stand up. She said, so-and-so, I know you're the buyer from Walgreens. Stand up. I want you to talk to baby girl when she comes off stage. And then she 
she told another lady who was a salesperson who was working with Target. She's like, oh, and you work with Target, you stand up. And so both ladies talked to me off stage when I was done. And the lady from Walgreens said, I'm so proud of you. She's like, it is so crazy to see what you have done by yourself with no help. She's like, I've never seen this before. She's like, I'd love to give you the opportunity to go on shelf, but Walgreens can't be your first retailer. We can't take on that risk. She's like, if you can get on shelf and sell really well, we'll come and revisit at that time. And then the other lady who had a meeting coming up with Target was like, did you just say you made a million dollars in sales in your apartment? in a 600 square foot apartment. And I was like, yes, ma'am, that's what we did. And we did it by ourselves. Like I was so nervous to talk about that because that was also the first time that we had shared our business sales numbers like publicly, like it's not a normal thing that we do even now. But I shared that with her and she was like, if you can show me proof that you did that, she was like, I'm going to get you a meeting with Target because right now Target wants more grassroots brands that pretty much were doing so well online to now be available on shelf. And so that's how I got my target meeting. And in a matter of weeks, I had to update my packaging because at the time we still had hand labeled packaging. I tell people all the time, I printed my labels on Avery labels from Staples. That was it. And I did a million in sales with washable labels. It's not about that. My quality product was inside and it was selling. So we had to update our labels. It was ugly packaging when it was done, by the way. We didn't end up using it in the long term. But I went to Minnesota and I walked in young, confident. I had my afro. I made sure I wore my natural hair, my twist out. And I presented my brand and I went by myself. My husband didn't travel with me. But I wouldn't even say that I was nervous as much as I trusted God so much because this was not even something that I had even walked into that meeting. Like I went to Chicago thinking what I needed to get me to where I wanted to go, whatever that place was, which is just to get allocated bigger, get allocated more customers was I needed an investor. And God was like, okay, so boom, door closed. I did not get Damon John. I got a no, but I kept going. Got a no from Walgreens but I kept going. I went in and got my yes from Target. And probably that was supposed to always be my first yes. So I had to make some decisions at that time. I had to make sure that I remained true to my authentic self. I can't really say too many details, but one of the decisions I had to make was whether to keep my photo on the bottle and on my packaging. That was a little bit discouraged at the time because having a Black woman on the packaging could possibly discourage people from wanting to purchase it because black woman, black face, limiting purchase. And again, you know, I can say what I can say, but I can't detail detail. But I remember just knowing in my heart that if that was going to be my determining factor as to whether I was going to get this opportunity or not, you will never get me to erase myself. I will never erase myself. And I'm not saying myself, Rochelle, because first of all, yes, I'll never erase myself. Who I represent and what I represent, oh, I'm not. I'm not erasing any of that. And so I made the decision to keep my stuff on my packaging. I made the decision to actually go back to our original packaging that we had before our meeting. And it was amazing. And I'm so grateful to Target for that opportunity to see a grassroots brand. And they took a chance on us, even when another retailer had said no. And another thing was we actually 
had the opportunity to go into more stores than we went into. We were offered like over 300 stores. And I remember calling my husband and we both had to make the decision. We were like, you know what, babe, we've never done this before. And we're going to have to come up with the money for the ingredients, for the bottles, for the everything to fund this order. So we asked them to give us your least amount of stores possible so we can prove ourselves. Who does that? Like we cut our own numbers in a third, but we got on shelf and it sold. And before you know it, they tripled us. And then we kept growing ever since. And something that has not been released as yet, because obviously we're recording this interview now, but we're getting ready to announce next week that Allocate is launching, well, just launched actually, in 1,800 Walgreens stores, okay? Yes, look at God. Look at God. That first Walgreens no years ago. And now it's like, wow, those stores that I would have gotten back then is nothing compared to what we just got. And God doubled us because at first that wasn't even the number we were getting. We were getting around a thousand. And then they're like, oh no, add 800 more to allocate. And now here we are. So trusting God's timing, I'm telling you, I know I took you on this long journey. No, this is a great journey though. Yeah. Trusting God's timing from our first retailer to where we are now. I mean, it's God, honestly. It was smart of you though. Like if you know anything about retail, I don't know if the listeners do, but there's a learning curve with retail in terms of getting payments. And there's all these little hidden things that you need to understand. So by Rochelle and her husband choosing to do less, they didn't put themselves in a tighter financial position because you don't get paid right away. You have to be ready. You have to be able to float because big retailers and lots of big companies pay when they pay. Yes. You have to understand all the shipping costs and all those other like hidden things that they don't tell you at the meeting necessarily. They just say you're in. Yes. And then you find out all the other costs that are involved. So I have to say that that was such a smart decision to go with a smaller order, to prove yourself. And then to grow into this and then to have this amazing opportunity coming your way at Walgreens. This is unbelievable. So congratulations to your whole team. Now, the other thing I want to talk to you about is the Black Onyx manufacturing, because as you said, that is a rare thing to manufacture your own product. Yes. How did you come to the decision to do that? So when we got our opportunity to launch into Target, that was one of the first discussions that Damon and I had to have. And again, part of that decision making at the forefront of our mind was our promise to our customers. Like that has just always been a thing. And I'm holding true to that. And we heard so many horror stories of when you start to outsource your manufacturing, even if it's a manufacturer that you trust as a business, they're going to find ways to, to cut their costs. And so if you give them your formulation, they're still going to dice it down. They're still going to cut it. And our customers wouldn't get the best quality. And so we just said, you know what, dude, let's just start ground up. Like we'll teach ourselves as we go. And so we started off with just hand filling normal. And then we got our first hand filler pump that my granddad would have to press his foot on to fill. Then we got the arm one. And so piece by piece, we put it together. And that was the real reason that we made that decision. And then also too, I really love the opportunity and the ability to be able to create, create new products, create new solutions, and not just create. Let me not just say that. I like the idea of being able to create, but also to protect my creations. And that's because 
of extremely hard lessons that I've had to learn in being in business of having different business ideas of mine stolen or not business idea, but my lock method being stolen. And so you think about these formulations that I created so naturally and organic to me, I would melt. It would crush me to have a manufacturer steal my formulas. And if people know anything about the manufacturing world, if someone gets a hold of your formulation, they only have to change it within 3% in order for it to be considered as a new formulation. And so 97% can still be your formula. And so in this industry, your formulations are your IP. They are your intellectual property. That is where the value of your branded business comes from. So in addition to allocate the brand, we own every single formulation. And so I wanted to make sure that I kept that close to us because, again, I've seen what can happen when you give too much access. Yes. Again, she's dropping gold, folks, dropping gold. And every, every sentence is gold. Rewind if you need to rewind. Own your formula. Yes. Own your formula. Don't share everything. As the elders used to say, don't tell everything you know. Like when you have a good idea, sit on it for a minute. You know, sit on it for a minute. It's okay. I know we live in an age where we're oversharing. In these instances, when you share something and you see someone run with it, it can be debilitating. So you want to really be careful who you share your stuff with. Keep some things to yourself, especially things that are really important to you. Yeah. And I don't know how many people listening are, not even just to say the beauty industry, but just product business owners in general. I actually created a course that's called How to Create a Product That Sells. And I take a different approach to product creation. I'm like, okay, guys, go from idea. Let me teach you how to price your products. Let me teach you manufacturing to do it yourself, not do it yourself. And I'm not talking about beauty. I'm saying any product in general. But one of those areas that I really honed in on was when it came to the legal protection beyond just IP, but also the protections that need to be in place when you decide to manufacture your products with outside manufacturer, regardless of the industry. So not to say everyone on here may take my course, but if anyone's in the product industry, I promise you it's worth it. One of the things I share is, and a lot of people, even people that have been in this industry before me, don't pay attention to never, ever, ever have a contract manufacturer or an outside manufacturer print your labeling for you. Never, ever do that. Your label is a part of your IP. And so what happens is whoever prints that, whoever orders that, owns that. So you want to make sure that you provide your labels to the manufacturer, even if they're like, oh, yeah, I could build that into your cost. I could do whatever. Like we manufacture our own products. But again, I'm in the industry and I see certain things as well as we may or may not also manufacture for other companies at the moment and not officially announce it yet. Um, so I've seen some awful things happen to brands. and. That's one of those level of protections that people should keep in mind. I don't care what industry you're in. Just say, remember, Rochelle told you this. Never get them to provide your labels. Send them your labels yourself. Take that time. Do your research. Do that yourself. Protect yourself. The little things matter. The fact that you have this course, I want to touch on this. You are a serial entrepreneur. You don't run just Allocate and Black Onyx. You are running things. This woman is running things. We don't know how she does all of this, <laughs> but she's doing it, y'all. And she's doing it well. She's doing it with excellence. And if you could tell us what made you 
want to do all of the things that you do and tell us what they are. Yeah. So some are secrets because I can't tell you yet, but it's because some of the things that I do with my brand, especially because of how our industry is just such tight competition. I've found that even some of the brands or businesses that I own, people will never know I own them. Not everything has my bio on it. I'm not featured on most of these about us. Allocate is the only business I have other than 90 Days to CEO and my Rochelle Graham Business University, which is now being rebranded, by the way, as CEO Business University. Those are the only two that I'm the face of. I have found that what works best for me with growing brands and businesses now is to have brands that are faceless or have brands that are represented by others. I don't want that pressure. I genuinely don't. I love being the face of Allocate. I love being the founder of Allocate. But what people have to understand is that comes with even more time restraints to be able to show up in that capacity beyond just being a CEO. So with my other projects and brands, I'm just the CEO of them. Two of my companies on the back end are actually co-owned by my children. I love that. I can't wait to be able to share. One of the things that I did with my kids, with one of their companies, is I documented our process in a way that now I'm just trying to figure out how to package it, not in some big expensive thing, but how can I package this and give to other parents and have them duplicate it? Because one of the brands is something that parents can do by themselves as well. And I can show them how, because I've done it for my kids and it's something that you can get children involved with. And I've used that as a way to also teach my children about business. So my daughter just turned four last month and my son is nine. Outside of this, what I can at least talk about are, of course, the Rochelle Graham Business University, which originally was just created as a way for me to find somewhere to put all the things that I wanted to teach people about. So when people kept asking me, like, how do I manage everything? How do I manage my schedule? I just sat in front of my daughter's daycare one day and I brain dumped all these things that I do for time management. And then it turned into this 36 tips for time management because I don't know what may apply to everyone. But I use these different tips throughout different aspects of my life, and it works. And that was how Rochelle Grimbus University started. But my course in itself started because I would come across so many people at hair shows or different events, and they would say, man, I have this product idea that I want to create, and I don't know where to start. And then I would just brain dump all this stuff onto them and then watch them just like shake because they're like, oh my God, like I'm overwhelmed. So I'm like, all right, I have to find a better way, first of all, to not repeat myself so much and be able to just put on paper everything that I've learned that I think are the core things that a product-based CEO needs to have. And it took me a very long time to put that together. And even now, just being the perfectionist that I am, I'm not a thousand percent happy with the branding of it. It's not as pretty as I want, but the information and the knowledge is there. And it's the same approach that I took with my book. So I released my book, 90 Days to CEO, which is 422 pages. Yes, (laughs) because let me tell you what I hate. I don't like to feel like people are scamming women. I don't like to see people scamming black business owner. And so when I pop up out of my little allocate hole once in a while, and I would see what's happening out there in the world, I'd be so disappointed that so many things are being sold in an expensive manner and there was nothing to back it, or people were taking people's money and not following through, or people didn't even have the experience for the things that they were selling, these hopes and dreams. And I'm like, 
okay, Rochelle, you can't just be disgusted with the state of this thing or industry. I have to do something. And so simultaneously, I went head in and I just started working on my book. And so releasing that felt like I was birthing a part of my beginning entrepreneurship journey. It allowed me to be so transparent about things that I've just been too busy to even pause and share. But it was important to me to not just give some frivolous little 30 page manual. Like, I hate that. Like, what are you teaching someone in these 30 pages? I wanted to give the guidance and the structure. So we have a 30 day, a 60 day and a 90 day business startup checklist. Plus it was broken down into how to start and open your business and then how to run and manage your business. Cause it's one thing to open it. I got to give you some tips and guidance as a CEO to keep this thing going. But then the beginning of my book, I shared those pitfalls and those things that people would be too embarrassed to talk about, like not being able to make payroll at one point and having to not pay ourselves to cover that. All of those things, because I guess similar to my natural hair journey, I want other people going through those experiences to know you are not alone because that feeling of feeling like you're alone when something is going wrong. It makes you want to quit. It makes you feel isolated. It makes you feel like maybe it was never meant for you. So the more that I can show, I guess, my wounds or show the parts that are not as beautiful, it helps and inspires someone else. And so that made me feel like, all right, this is what I needed to do. And I just laid it all out. And, you know, since writing my book, I can definitely say I've learned so much more. So who knows what will come in the future? But yeah, outside of that, I guess another brand, I have a photography studio that I run and that's actually local in my city. Years ago, I had a salon and it was absolutely amazing. It was bougie. We had chandeliers everywhere. We had free mimosas and refreshments. That business ran successfully for three years alongside Alec Hay. But just like any CEO, sometimes you have to make a tough decision. And I realized that While that business financially was successful and profitable, I could not be in two places at once. And I want to make sure anything I create and anything associated with my brand is always 110% its best. In a service-based industry, unless you are there and unless you have management that is implementing every level of excellence you want, it's not going to happen. And I wasn't comfortable with that. (laughs) So I'm like, you know what? If I can't be there, it's not going to grow. And realistically, what was more scalable? My salon that was here local, which is a physical location, or my product-based business. So I doubled down on Allocay. But My other companies you'll learn about soon. One of our brands is actually launching seven weeks from now. That one I am going to actually be talking about in about 12 weeks. So it launches in seven weeks. And then five weeks after that, I'm actually going to announce it on my page. Okay. So folks, there's a lot here. Let me tell you this. In the show notes, I'm going to have links to Rochelle's book, to her course. Yes. To all things Rochelle. Of course, Alakay. But all the other things that Rochelle talked about that she can share right now. Yes. And then we'll do a little extra promo 12 weeks from now when she launches the other stuff. We'll do a clip that talks about that to remind you that this woman is all about business. Not all, because she has family and she's also a philanthropist on top of this. Yes, ma'am. Where do you find the time for philanthropy? Tell me what's important to you with that. Let me tell you, 
to whom much is given, much is expected. And I have always thought that way. So it's not even an option for us. What's crazy is, so Allie K Cares Foundation is the name of our official foundation. To be honest, Allie K Cares has been running and in an operation now for probably seven, eight years. We're just this year registering as a nonprofit. <laughs> We were just not registered. So pretty much Allocate Naturals, the brand, would fund Allocate Naturals, the nonprofit. And what we have committed to is every single quarter, like mandatorily, we do something that comes from the heart. That doesn't just include the events we donate to and the little things and gifts that we send. I mean, actual like our heart led initiatives and the things that are close to us. So, for example, children that come from domestic abuse, so women and children, very much a heart project for me. Children in general, any capacity, even working with children that have just overcome cancer treatments. So that's something as well. And a lot of people don't really even know Alakay's impact in the cancer research back end part of things. So there's things that are going on with our brand that we are working on that as they start to develop and grow, you'll be able to see how I believe Black-owned businesses and Black beauty can go beyond just the shelf and go beyond just that space. So that's something I'm really excited about because to help people get that confidence back, right? It means everything. So there's a couple different initiatives. We do toy drives like every holiday and we don't just collect and send to some organization. We go and hand them out ourselves. Like we drive through MLK, we pop over in the projects, we talk to the kids, drop them off. Here you go. Merry Christmas. Because it's not enough for the money to do the work. It means so much more when you get your hands in there. Donating to the homeless. So the thing is, those parts of me that have always been a part of my journey or who I am as a person, I've been able to put into allocate. So for example, there is a homeless shelter and kitchen that I have been volunteering since I was 18 years old. As soon as I moved here to Florida, I found I needed some way to give back, even with my college classes. And I started volunteering there on Saturdays. So I used to do Meals on Wheels and make my drop-offs and stuff. Fast forward, when Allocate emerged, we now are partnered with them. So we will go and my team and I will serve food. We'll bring donations. We put together care packages, just random times of sanitizer, toiletries, Allocate products for the homeless. And we'll just go and drop them off on a random Saturday or weekend. It's so much that we do. Dress for Success. We're part of Pace Children's Organization, which is for young girls who come from and still exist and live in challenging and abusive household. And so I make sure I talk to those girls once a quarter. And through my relationship to that organization, my mom has been able to now join their board of directors because I wanted to show them my mom was a single teenage mother and look at me, the product of that. And so we can't let those challenges or things that have happened in our previous generations stop us from becoming the greatness that we are meant for. So if your mom is a teenage mom, don't let that stop you. And so those girls, I love connecting with them. We do so much. We never post about things, though. That's one of the things that I have found that our brand has struggled with a bit, and it's been because of me. I have a very difficult time, and it's something I'm working on, with sharing my successes and wins and the good things that we do. Some childhood healing has to happen there where you kind of get comfortable with your success. But sometimes these big things that we do behind the scenes and our give backs, I never really want people to think we're sharing it from like a gross place, like a place of self. And so we usually don't 
share, but I'm finding that if we don't share, then our allocate audience and nation will never know the huge positive impact that their dollars are making behind the scenes. So just this past school season, we did this huge backpack giveaway. We did backpacks. We did lunch for 250 kids in Jamaica just this year alone. And we have not talked about that. Our allocate in Ghana, Africa, we cut out the middleman and literally the man, and we went directly to the source. And we work with a woman-founded manufacturer. She makes our raw shea butter and our black soap. And she has hired and built four different villages manufacturing within Ghana. Two of them make Alakay's products. I see these women wearing their Alakay shirts, mixing that shea butter, and knowing that our customers buying our products are allowing us to provide opportunities for these women to take care of their families and make money to get their power back. Like, I love all of it. So we do so much. And it's wonderful. You're not bragging. So let me help you with this. Yes, please. Because as we talked about in our community, we want to support people who walk the talk. Yeah. And so by talking about the things that Allocate believes, these are your core values, your core values and action. So think about that. And when you share that, you're sharing your core values and actions. It's not a look at me moment. It's not for social media. Like even though you could share it there. Yeah. But it's not your intent and intent matters. Yes. Be okay with sharing that because it's amazing, girl. And it is what we want to see. We want to see community involvement. We want to care. It's what people dream about wanting to do when they start a company. A lot of people do and aren't able to do that or get distracted by the shiny penny of fame or money or whatever it is. They have intent, but then they go on another path. And, you know, we're not shaming them or anywhere. That's not their path. But if you're doing it out of love, if that is the heart of your company, your heart of your company is authenticity, it is serving your community, this is an outgrowth of that. Yes. Thank you. And people will support you because they believe in what you believe in. Thank you. And plus you have great products. So it's like you can't have one without the other. It's making the great products so that people can support that and then having the mission that goes with it. Yes. That's everything right there. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Finally, in this last section of the podcast, I want to leave our listeners with some concrete steps on where to begin. So let's go into our starting five that take away tips from our guests. As we close, give our listeners five tips on finding their lane, maybe in an already crowded marketplace. Yeah. What kind of tips would you offer them? I would say, first of all, figuring out what are you bringing to the space? Whatever the space is, whether it's an industry, a category, whatever, what are you bringing to it? Don't focus as much as what is just merely existing. Come in first with your creative mind. If you get so hung up on studying what's there and what's working, you almost lose the opportunity to create your own spin because you become distracted a bit, I think that's first and foremost important because you don't want to bring more of the same. Same is boring. I also think don't be afraid to 
try new things. I think one of the advantages that I had coming in was I did not have industry experience. I was not in the beauty industry. I was not already running some full-fledged business. And so therefore, my lack of knowledge also worked as my superpower because I just didn't know better. I just did what felt right. And so while I do think it is important to make sure that you come in and study your industry so you understand how to win, you also have to make sure that just do what feels right. Try things that are new. To this day, I can't tell you the amount of people that I hear, and I just was talking to my team about this just last week, I shared with someone one of my plans for Alakay, and the person straight out told me, yeah, that's not a good idea. I don't think you should do that. It's not been done. Look at X, Y, and Z business and how successful they have become. Look at how much dollars they have made doing it this way. And that was the example she gave. And while I value her expertise, I also know that I'm not them, I'm me. And so that's one of my advice as well is to remember that someone else's path and journey is not yours. Don't be afraid to take a new path. Don't be afraid to try something new. Even if no one else sees your vision, as long as you trust yourself and you trust your gut and you also make sure that you are approaching this from a sound mind and not just some irrational thought, don't be afraid to try things new. Like, look at us now. Like, even when I was launching our Feminine Care line, we just launched it last year, Her by Allocay Naturals. People were saying, girl, just focus on hair care. Your business is already doing so much multi-millions every year in natural hair. Just stay here. And I'm like, but... I can create a feminine natural product. Like if I can make products for my customer's hair, I see a gap in this industry. I see that we need more natural feminine products available more readily. So you don't always have to get it online. And also how many are black and female owned? We're talking about feminine areas, but half of these brands are owned by men. No, I think I can do this and I did it. And I'm telling you the amount of do not do it's that I got. And now they have to just sit back and say, wow, she did it. And so trust in your gut, do the work, put your head down and stay focused and keep going. I also think as well, remember that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I think a lot of people think that you have to just create something from scratch. Look at the things and interactions that you have in your life from the time you wake up. What are some inconveniences that you face in your own life? Like, what are some things that you're like, why can't someone fix this? Why isn't this easier? Why isn't this smoother? Maybe it's you. Maybe you were the person that was meant to fix that thing. You think it's a simple Maybe it's simple to you because God made your brain be able to calculate whatever that solution is. And so instead of us always expecting for someone else to come through and do it, do it yourself. Even if you don't have the capacity to start it and do it big, start small. I started Allocate with $100 and that's not just some BS story. I've seen it. I know it's a thing. People love to say, I started in my house. I started in my kitchen, started in my garage. It sounds sexy. And that's why they create that founding story where with me, I am telling you, I started with a dega dega hundred dollars. That's all I had. And I made it work. You don't have to start big. What you have to do start in little increments. And when things start to pick up, you add more and you put it back in and you keep putting it back in. You keep reinvesting until you're able to do what you want. Think about these brands and businesses that you hear me saying that I have running on the back end and whatever. I had to fund those. I'm not operating and starting these businesses and launching 50 and $100,000 budgets. No, 
I put myself back in startup mode. I reference my own book when I'm starting my brand. I copy that checklist and I'm like, okay, this is what we're working through. So I still understand that while it may not be feasible in this day and age for you to start with $100, maybe it's $200, but just think about how you can start small and then scale to that bigger thing. And keeping those things in mind will help you to get creative. And then also too, start with what you have financially, because I think it's really important that you test your theory first, test your business concept, test your idea. Don't immediately by default get a credit card and get loans because then that puts this extra pressure on you in the beginning. And even if you have to start your business with a loan, be completely structured before that money even touches your account, figure out exactly how will it be used and how will it multiply and return. In the beginning, people are starting their business and they're focused on putting majority of their budget that they have into things that will never generate revenue to turn. How do you think you're going to then pay for the next step? Every activity has to make sense. So I know that's not adding creativity, but there are things to keep in mind when starting. It doesn't have to add creativity. This is real business stuff because I think lots of people, particularly people that listen to this podcast, they want to start a business. It might not be a beauty business. You know, it's like something in the back of their head. And if you're influenced by what you see, you think, okay, I got to have money for this. I got to hire all my friends or I got to do these things and we're all got to have salaries of X, Y, Z. And that's not really how it works. So those tips were invaluable. Don't go to a contract manufacturer and have your garage filled with product that you can't sell because you never asked anybody if they had a problem that you're trying to solve. Yes. Do it yourself first. Start yourself first. Test your concept. Feel it out. Like there's nothing wrong with starting small. And I also think that it's just because of the perception of what people see online. They think that what everyone starts with is big. Y'all, it's all fake. Come on. Half of these things, like it's all a perception. It's all a facade. You see people's products selling out in 10 minutes and then you look at your stuff and you're like, but I can't even sell one product in one week. Stop comparing. You don't really know what's happening on the back end. And so starting small means running your own race and doing your own pace. We've seen brands enter into our category and seemingly run circles around us to a certain regard, but we don't focus on that. You're running our race, not theirs. Right. And who knows where they'll be in a year from now. It is, as a friend of mine always said, smoke and mirrors. We're in a business of smoke and mirrors. So folks, these episodes are masterclasses. I get guests who really tell the truth. And I really appreciate that, that it's not just, I have this new blah, blah, blah. Like, that's nice. Like we love product, but understanding how you got to where you are, the challenges, the struggles, the triumphs, that's what it's about for me. And Rochelle, you have given us so much. You fed us, you know what I mean? Like a full meal. That's a phone wheel right there. People could come back for seconds. You listen to this more than once and you'll understand that to be successful in business is no joke. You got to take it seriously and you have to be willing to do what's necessary. Remember, CNA, delivering papers, Olive Garden. You know, it wasn't like she woke up one day and it was like, ta-da. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time and all of your insights. Thank you. And if anyone's listening and happens to also want to shop our Allocate Naturals products, if you're not located in the U.S., we are sold in 27 countries around the world. So make sure you check the website store locators. And if you don't see Allocate near you and you want us near you, 
send us an email on the site and we'll start working on it. And we'll have the link for Alake, of course, in the show notes and everything. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's our show for today. If you have questions about where to start in your beauty career, drop us a line at hello at beautybizcamp.com. Remember, there are many roads to success, but each of them requires you to start. So take that step forward today. See you next time.